tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. There's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. This is going to be one of those really obscure show. I mean, really. How obscure? Well, there will be words in Croatian, the land of some of your ancestors, and in German, the land of some of mine. But we'll try to make it interesting. Lord knows. Right as Uh, we prepare for the most American holiday, we're going across the pond. Yes, exactly. Uh, the spirit of the country, we're from everywhere. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls, Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let us do it. Let us open the big book on the coffee table. Well, today is the Feast of St. Cecilia, Virgin and Martyr, and she is considered the patron saint of church music because the early documents said that when she was at her pagan wedding, she was forcibly married to a pagan named Valerian. Um, um, that that she sang songs to the Lord in her heart. She sat apart from the festivities, which at Roman's wedding, Roman weddings could be quite lewd, to be quite honest. Um, she sat apart and sang hymns to the Lord. So she's the patron saint of music. And uh, oh, there was a line in I there. Oh yes, a line in the Office of Readings today that the uh, the the Saint Augustine wrote that. Um, uh, we should make sure that we sing well, lest we offend our Lord. I, I, I'm paraphrasing, and I should have written it down, but remember what I say. Music, food and music should not hurt. And and also that uh, better no music than bad music at Mass. But that's just me. Uh, take it with a grain of salt, you know. Well, moving along. So we're, we're going to do the readings for the day, uh, which, of course, are... Optional, but uh, we're going to go to Second Maccabees, and you know Second Maccabees uh, again. I think is a very beautiful uh, book. It uh, has so many stories of heroic, uh, heroic martyrs for the Lord, and uh, Second Maccabees. Um, uh, it it talks about the persecution of the Jews under. Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes, 
uh, Antiochus meant he was, uh, well, he was, that was his name, Antiochus. He was the son of Antiochus III. And uh, um, <clears throat> he was the king who ruled the Seleucid Emperor Empire. That was the capital would have been up in Antioch in Syria, just north of the Holy Land. He ruled about 175 B.C. So these are stories that come from, you know, from 175 on. So uh, the book of Maccabees, uh, uh, the author's not identified, but he, he's, he claims to be abridging a, a five-volume work by a fellow called Jason of Cyrene, which we no longer have. So who knows? But uh, it starts and ends its history. Um, a little earlier than First Maccabees, it's talking about um, the persecutions. He's trying to give a. a, a I find Second Maccabees a little more well. I I suppose theological or spiritual than First Maccabees. First Maccabees is telling you what happened, but uh, uh, he's trying to interpret these events in the light of God's love, so uh, which or God's love for Israel. So this is a little difficult. Um, uh, but they're amazing stories. Um, uh, it's worth reading. And if you haven't read it, you should. So, well, let's go to the reading itself here. Moving along, clicking there. This is a story of seven brothers and their mother arrested and tortured. I'm reading from the text. With whips <laughs> and scourges by the king to force them to eat pork in violation of God's law. And, of course, this reading is abbreviated. Um, um, it really kind of is the part that's taken out uh, of the reading um, is pretty graphic. And, of course, so I will read part of it for you. Um, one of the brothers speaking for the others says, What do you expect us to do uh, to learn by questioning us? We're ready to die rather than transgress the laws of our ancestors. And so he had the, the, the king... Uh, had pans and cauldrons heated, and he gave the order to cut the tongue out of the one who had spoken for the others, to scalp him, cut off his hands and feet, while the rest of his mother and brothers looked on. <coughs> Excuse me. While he was completely maimed but still breathing, the king ordered them to carry him to the fire and fry. I mean, this is, we've cut this out. Hold on for just a minute. I'm going to have to press the cough button. I, I'm sorry that I, I, I had a cold a few weeks ago, and it's, it's apparently a persistent cough, but it, it'll get better. Good grief. There. I, amen, Charlie Brown. All right, let's go back to this. Well, um, it goes through all the brothers. Uh, and uh, uh, the mother uh, saw her seven sons perish in a single day. And we read in verse 21, filled with a noble spirit. She exhorted each of them the language of their ancestors. I do not know how you came to be in my womb. It was not I who gave you life nor breath, since it's the creator of the universe who shaped you in the beginning. Uh, in his mercy, he'll give you back both breath and life, because you disregard yourselves for the sake of his law. Um, this sounds rather heroic and rather, well, literate. I remember the story of, uh, 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 I, I, if I recall the story properly, I, I know this happened. Um, it's in the movie, uh, uh, uh for greater glory about the Mexican Cristeros, which, you know, is, is, um, kind of a, 
it plays a little loose with history, but essentially it's a, an historical movie. It doesn't give you all the dimensions of the struggle. But I think people don't realize that the Masonic government, the leftist Masonic government of Mexico in the early 20th century, with the collaboration of the United States, tried to root out Catholicism from Mexico. The image of Our Lady of Guadalupe was smuggled out of Mexico, I believe. Um, so they wanted they wanted it gone. Uh, I, is it The Power and the Glory written by Graham Greene, uh, which is a novel about a priest who is not a good priest, but he had to, to uh, um, fulfill his priestly duties. He just became a good priest. Um, uh, amazing story. But there's so many, so many uh, stories about it, but people don't realize this, that there was a, a, a brutal persecution of the church in Mexico, and the church in Mexico, Mexico was, was nothing but stronger for it. Well, the story that I'm thinking about was... Uh, <clears throat> uh, a friend of mine who has since passed away, who was a deacon, uh, became a deacon inspired by his godfather, who was a priest, who became a priest principally because he witnessed the martyrdom of one of his friends. There was a kid who'd been asked to hold the horses uh, for some Cristeros, and uh, I think that's the story, and I think he might have had an image of Christ the King uh, on his hat, and they grabbed him, and they imprisoned him for months, and finally, this happened. This is, this is history. You know, if you're squeamish, maybe you want to turn off the radio. But they shaved the skin off this boy's feet, walked him out of town, and made him dig his own grave. And they kept saying, you will be home in your own bed if all you say is curse Christ the King. And his parents were there urging him like this mother not to give up the faith. Uh, and I, I think one of the executioners was his own godfather. But, you know, this this is, I knew somebody who knew somebody who witnessed this. So, you know, these things happen. And I don't think I could ever do that. Well, you don't know what grace God will give you when you need it. Who knows? You know, I, I love this, the surrender novena, which is, Jesus, you take care of everything. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. T today, as Jesus said, uh, is sufficient, uh, the worry they're in. I, you know, I... Uh, probably I, like you, live long in the future wondering what will happen if this happens. What's going to be it like? What's it going to be like if that happens? <clears throat> when all that you've got is now. You know, I love what what um, um, C.S. Lewis says about about time. His, his his treatment of time is is wonderful. He says, uh, you know, Screw Tape Letter is a dialogue between. Uh, Two demons, it's correspondence between two demons, the older demon, the undersecretary for the Department of Temptations, uh, writing to his nephew, a junior tempter. And it's tri tricks on how to get your man. Uh, but he says, what you want to do is keep your patient, in other words, the person he's trying to drag to hell, keep your patient from uh, thinking about the present moment. Because the present moment is the only thing that's real. The past has some reality. Uh, but the future has no reality at all. It doesn't exist, and it never will, because when you arrive at the future, guess what? It's now. But if you can keep your patient living in the past, reminiscing about how things used to be, that's good. But even better is to have them live in the future, either a glorious future when their ship comes in or a horrible uh, future when all the bad things that, that can happen to them will happen. Um, and, and he goes on to say that we think of all the bad things that could happen even if they're mutually contradictory, we are sure they're going to happen. 
Well, they may not. <laughs> you know that that uh, uh, they can't all happen at once. And this is the moment. You see, this is the moment where eternity meets meets time, the present moment. And the devil tells his nephew, or this the senior tempter tells his his nephew, keep them from living in the present in any way you can. Um, because if they really understand the present and reach out to God in the present, the results will be disastrous from the devil's point of view. So, you know, we think about these great martyrs. How could I ever do that? Live for the Lord this minute. And if he asks you to do something exceptional, he'll give you the grace, you know, well, this applies to vocations. Maybe I'm thinking about being a priest or a sister, but what if I get lonely? Well, God will take care of you in that moment, at that time. So, you know, what if what if disaster happens in to my health or to my to the health of those I love? Well, you can trust God to give you the grace if you accept it at that moment. So, live now, uh, and and um, you know, God would make you capable of this. I mean, this this story uh, is not a far fetched story. Um, uh, it's real. So Second um, Maccabees is a book wor- worth looking at. Well, <clears throat> this said, let us now go to the gospel. Now I have, oh, where's the salt? You get your salt shaker handy because I have a very odd take on this gospel. Um, <clears throat> well, Jesus usually says the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like 10 virgins. You know, that he's talking, and I maintain that when you see the phrase kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is, uh, is Basilea is not a place. It is not uh, primarily, it's not a place or, or a, a political system. Basilea is a quality of the king. It is kingliness. It is the king's royal authority. It's the king's right to rule. It's the personality of the king. And when you see the phrase kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God in scripture, Jesus is saying, this is what God is really like. This is God's royal nature. He doesn't say that in this parable. Look closely. While people were listening to Jesus speak, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought that the kingdom of God would appear there immediately. They were thinking of the kingdom of God as Jesus' royal nature to kick out the Romans. In other words, they were judging this kingdom of God by their own desires. And so Jesus tells a story, a nobleman went off to a distant country to obtain a kingship. Now that's kind of interesting because the word here, oh, I should look it up, but the word here is, I'm quite sure, Basilea. Okay. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna look it up. Boy, get the music on because I forgot to look it up because this is interesting. Okay, all right, all right, I got it. <laughs> all right, I award you noble. no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Oh, I hope he does. Okay, he went to a distant land to receive for himself. There's the word Basilea. He went to obtain the royal dignity for himself. You know, what, what, that's an odd sound. That was the was correct bell, like you got the right answer. Oh, like the correct bell. I got, thank you, thank you, on the game shell. Okay, 
I got the right answer. There it is. That I knew that word was Basilea. Ha! He went off to a distant country to obtain kingship or to obtain royalness. When we say the kingship, well, the word is, 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 it's translated right here. When you see it translated as kingdom, it's, I don't think it's translated correctly. The kingship of God is like this. That's a good word, kingship. But uh, uh, it's exactly the word that translators translate as kingdom. All right. He called his ten servants and gave them ten gold coins. I was trying to figure out how much this was worth. It's worth a lot of money. This is a, a variation of the, the parable of the talents. A talent is a huge weight of money. But here the word is mina, uh, which is M-I-N-A, a mina or M-N-A. Uh, it's spelled different ways. It was, I think, was a mina worth a hundred sheep or something. It was a fairly large amount of money. And a golden mina would have been quite a, a bit of money. So he said, engage in trade until I return. We all know the story that uh, one came with the 10 coins, 10 additional ones, uh, take charge of 10 cities. Uh, here's your five and five more, take charge of five cities. And then the other one said, I kept it sort of away in a handkerchief where I was afraid of you. And he says, with your own words, I shall condemn you, wicked servant. You know, I was a demanding man. <clears throat> Why didn't you put it in the bank? And take the gold coin from him and give it to the servant who has ten. They said to him, sir, he has ten gold coins. Again, they don't mention the punishment for the the, uh, in the unindustrious servant. But in the other version of this story, we see that that servant is given his, the punishment is he's given his freedom, cast him out into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's given his freedom. The word here is not servant, it's slave. This, this man owns the money and he owns the people. It's a slave, not a servant. So um, this, this useless slave is thrown out in, in the other parable. And what's the reward for the useful servants? They're given greater responsibility. <laughs> That's true in the church. You do a good job, well, they're going to ask you to do more stuff. It's one of the breaks. But we're slaves to the Lord. But this is the, the kicker here. Um, now, as for those enemies of mine who did not want me as their king, bring them here and slay them before me. What's going on there? This is not sweet and gentle Jesus. It isn't Jesus at all. He's not, he's not saying this is necessarily what God is like. This is what Herod is like. This is the story of Herod the Great. Herod went to Rome to convince the Roman Senate and Roman politicians to make him king of the Jews. That's, uh, he went uh, at one point after Mark Antony and Cleopatra had been defeated, who were his great patrons. Uh, at least Mark Antony was. Cleopatra and Herod didn't get along particularly well. They argued about money. But um, uh, he said to Augustus, um, I was loyal to Antony until the end, and I will be loyal to you to the end. And Augustus was so amused by that, Octavian Augustus, that he, he made sure that Herod was king of the Jews. That's the story as I heard it. So what is Jesus saying here? Uh, he's saying that, that, that the kings of the earth um, uh, are demanding of their servants, and the king of heaven is too. And he's, he's answering their question, 
is the kingdom of God, when you establish it, going to be, going to be, we're going to kill all the Romans and all that sort of thing. And I think Jesus, in a sense, is saying that's what Herod does. That's not what I'm going to do. That's, that's not his intention. Though Jerusalem was destroyed not long after Christ. This is a little complicated. This is the story of Herod the king, uh, who went off to Rome to receive the royal dignity, Basilea. He went to receive the kingship. But uh, Jesus is saying that this is one of those inviolable rules of nature. Uh, To him who has, more will be given. There is a clarification of that, I think, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, where we read the strange phrase in Greek, charin antikaritos, that he gave us grace against grace. What did he mean by that? Well, grace against grace, I think what happens is God gives you a gift. He says, I'm giving you this responsibility. I'm giving you this ability, this way to serve in the church. It's not much. You know, it's it's uh, straightening out the pews after mass. You say, Lord, if this is from you, I'll do it happily. You do it. You receive the grace. And he gives you a greater grace. And... <sighs> Now I'm going to ask you to be the sacristan. And you're faithful in that. You know, we, we say, you know, I want, to, I want to get into a preaching ministry. You don't start there. You know, you start small. God gives you a grace. And if you respond to the gift that God gives you, well, uh, then God will give you a greater grace. So to him who has, more will be given. Remember that the coins did not belong to the slaves. They belonged to the master. And he gave it to the one who had 10 coins because that that servant he knew would use it wisely for his benefit. So this is the story of Herod. Jesus isn't saying that this is what God is like, but he's saying that, well, this is what life is like. That's how I read it. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to uh, come back with letters. Okay. Oh, and there's plenty of lines open at 888-914-9149. We'll be back. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester. An Illinois Life Insurance Society not available in all states. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. Me and Jesus got okay. our own thing going. I guess. Well, Jesus may have it all worked out. I'm still sort of fussing about the details. All right. Before we go to letters, just another reminder the phones are open at 888 914 9149. But I very much wanted to talk about something that was it yesterday, the day before, that someone brought up about the problem of Paul landing on, on Malta. There has never been a wreck. There are snakes on Malta, apparently. I looked up, but there are no venomous snakes on Malta. And so, what's going on? Well, possibly the snakes stowed away on, on, uh, uh, on the ship, or this was driftwood on the shore, and snakes will hitch right on. Driftwood, but I don't think that's what it is because you see, in the Greek word for island, where I just lost it, where did I put it? Ah, X, okay. It's the Greek word for Malta as Melite. Melite. And uh, uh, 
It's also called Melita. That was how Malta was pronounced once upon a time. And you know what? There are numbers of islands called, from the ancient world, Melita. It means honey island. That's all it means. Well, there is an island off the coast of Croatia, which is called, uh, 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 in ancient Greek, the same as Malta, Melite. And it is crawling with poisonous snakes. I think the horned viper, something like that. And the text of Scripture does not does not indicate exactly which Malta it's on. So that may be the answer. There was a, a, a long-standing tradition that um, uh, uh, this little island off the coast of uh, of um, Croatia, which uh, now has a population of about a thousand people, uh, it, it's. Um, it was regarded as the island Paul landed on um, uh, for centuries. Uh, the, the, in the 10th century, uh, uh, in the 900s, the Emperor Constantine Porphyrogenitus uh, talked about uh, this being the island. So it may well be the island. So I thought I'd resolve that. Uh, we don't know where... Malta was, but there were venomous snakes on Malta when Paul got there. Actually, there are snakes in Malta that may have lost their venom. That's another possible explanation. But there are snakes on Malta. Not, not. Um, uh, there were certainly were at the time of Christ, and uh, at least that's what I read. So, just thought you'd want to know. All right, let's go to letters now. Oh boy. Well, of course, the first letter I need to deal with was the one that came in from Leandra, who asked a question about a, a German inscription she had. Well, <laughs> the, the, she wrote Schmepshafter, uh, uh, and, and uh, 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 there's no Schmepshafter. It's Schmerzhafter, which means sorrowful mother. And, and the translation is, Thy tears destroy the lordship of hell. Um through your your durch deine gottliche Sanftmut, through your godly humility or gentleness, um, uh, oh, and and the translation that that would come up on Google is bounded Jesus. What it means is Jesus who is tied. You know the the tradition is that Jesus was not only nailed to the cross but also tied. We don't have that in Scripture, but you'll see images like that, and that's what. Jesus is bound, if not by ropes, certainly by the nails. Oh, bound Jesus. Uh, um, uh, preserve the world. Uh, um, oh, gosh, what is that? Preserves the world, preserve the world uh, from threatening, uh, uh, threatening, verirung, uh, uh, what's verirung? It means uh, error. From the error that threatens her, preserve the world from the from the evil that threatens her. Uh, good prayer. So, uh, the the Leandra Leanne is asking uh, 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 the seven sets of seven beads. I think this is uh, uh, um, a version of the the sorrowful mother rosary. So, huh, boy, German, heck of a language. So. I hope we've solved two problems, the German translation of a strange inscription and um, uh, 
Schmelz means pain. Schmelzhafte. Mother. Yeah, that's a grain of salt. Schmelz. <laughs> There's a German love song that Du gibst mir viel Schmerzen, you give me lots of pains. Du, du liegst mir in Herzen. You give me lots of pains, you don't know how good I am for you. Ah, we Germans are so romantic. That All is right. some weird, <laughs> wild stuff. It is. Did we get the Did we get the letter trumpet already? Because we'll go to letters now. We did. Okay. Oh, we did have the trumpet. Good. All right. Let me see. Let me get another letter here. What time is it? All right. Where am I? What day is it? All right. Let's 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 pull up a letter here. Okay. Um... That about sums it up, doesn't it? Okay. This is a, um, uh, a rather long letter about um, uh, a young man who told the priest he's not going to Mass anymore. Um, that, that um, uh, well, I'm kind of having a hard time making heads or tails of this. Um, it's about some woman who's complaining. The lector continued to read badly. The choir still sang out of tune. People still scrolled on their cell phones, but the young man kept his eyes on the altar. The point being that, what are you going to church for? Which is a good question. Uh, so that letter's about, why are you going to church? If you're going there for Jesus, again, when I, I share that story often about how I went to an old you know, traditional mass, first traditional mass I'd been to since I was a kid, and I understood because it, it wasn't what you'd call a real slam bang liturgy. It wasn't, you know, I was expecting a high mass and beautiful choir music and all that sort of thing. Wasn't that at all? And I realized that the celebrant wasn't there to make me feel something. And I, as someone who was there, wasn't responsible to feel anything. I was simply responsible to kneel and worship God. And I understood that the real presence is real, whether you feel it or not. If you're going to mass, for, to be entertained, you might as well stop going. But if you're going to Mass because you want to worship God, new Mass, old Mass, anything in between, it'll work. I mean, within reason. I mean, you want to go to a Mass that's that's clearly a Mass uh, of the of the as prescribed by the Church. You know that uh, there's a saying: uh, you do what's in the red and say what's in the black. In the Missal, there are these things called rubrics which tell the priest what to do. And some of us clergy decide we're going to improve on the words or the actions of the Mass. We shouldn't do that. Um, you know, people say, Father, uh, this is a common one. The priest doesn't wash his hands at the at the lavabo and then in the offertory. Is he supposed to? Yeah, he's supposed to. Oh, it's a small thing. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not a small thing. Um, you have the right to the Catholic Mass, not the Mass of Father such-and-such. You have a right to the Catholic Mass. And if your priest is is sort of doing his own thing, like writing his own canon, or uh, uh, um, sort of pretending the Mass is uh, um, a venue for his personal creativity, talk to him. Oh, I wouldn't dare. Yeah, talk to him. Don't complain until you talk to him. And if he just is not going to listen, to, he's not going to concede you your right to the Catholic Mass, then I would think of finding a church where, you know, Mass is done more simply. And, uh, you know, to me, the simplicity of the Mass is a beautiful thing. doesn't have to have all the bells and whistles because you're there to worship God. So I think that's the point of this letter, if I read it properly. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, there you go. All right, let me let me move on. Let me. What time is it? I think I got time for one more. If it's, you okay, know, that's. I'm sorry, I can't do that one. Do you ever that's have deja a, vu, Mrs. Lancaster? Uh, yeah, 
that's again, I'll end with this. Um, you shouldn't, um, you know, if you send me something to click on, I'm not going to click on it because, you know, outside sources that can compromise our computer system. And, you know, if you want me to read something, you got to send the, the whole schmear. So there you go. All right. Very good. Very good. Let's take a break. We'll come back with a word of the day. Oh, the phone's 888-914-9149. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. Heading back to the hills and home This old country never more to roam The traveling life is not for me I'm headed back to the hills and home Oh, hello, hello, hello. Let's see here. Let's see here. What do I want to do now? Oh, the word of the day. That's right. I, I was going to use Malta as the word of the day, but I got so excited that I shared it already. But uh, very interesting. Let's do two words of the day to make up for that. Of course, Thanksgiving. The word in Greek for Thanksgiving is eukaristia, which means the Eucharist. And uh, uh, I think I've shared with you that the rabbi said when the Messiah came, all the all of the uh, sacrifices of the law would pass away except for the Thanksgiving sacrifice. And you offered the Thanksgiving sacrifice when you had been rescued from death. It was a big deal. It wasn't just, oh, yeah, thanks, Lord. I got, I got my, uh, my check in the mail. No, it says, thank you, Lord. I've been rescued from death. And the word was Eucharistia. In, in Hebrew, it's the Todah, the Korban Todah. And so the word Eucharist means... The, the Thanksgiving sacrifice, the Korban Todah. So for us Catholics, every day is Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, I think what they say, that little cute little rhyme, the attitude of gratitude, well, it's true that, that the more we thank God, uh, the more we realize that, that things are things are in his control. But that, that I wanted one more word I, that I found interesting in the text that I wanted to share, that Jesus... Um, where did I put it? Come on. Where did I put it? Oh, gosh. Um, Jesus talks about going going up to Jerusalem. Oh, where did I put it? Yeah, here it is. In Luke 19, 28, we read in the reading that he proceeded on his journey up to Jerusalem. I don't think we realize how important that phrase is. Anabinon literally means going up. And the Jews talk about making aliyah, which means aliyah is a going up. And you went up to Jerusalem. It was in the mountains. We shall go up with joy to the house of the Lord. That, that I'm looking at this, Anabinon, that Anna means up. And I'm thinking, I, I'm kind of stuck on it, that what Jesus said, um, he didn't say to the blind man uh, the other day in the gospel. When the blind man says, he says, what, can I, what do you want me to do for you? I want to see. And Jesus doesn't say receive sight. No, he says, Anablepson which means, look up, look at me. That's what Jesus says, look at me. Jesus is going up to Jerusalem 
so that he can be lifted up on the cross. And he says, lift your gaze to me. I think that's beautiful. But that said, let us now go to phones. Hello? You talk. I'll listen. Well, I'll probably talk a little too. Joe from Minneapolis, what can I do for you? Good afternoon, Father. How are you today? Yes. What can I do for you? I got a little bit of a conundrum, if you would. I'm a Byzantine Catholic. Yeah. (laughs) That it? Um, And uh, I've been a Mason for 30 years because my priest back then told me I could. Well, now I've noticed Uh. that the the Pope is now saying that uh, it's uh, really pretty bad that we should not be doing this. And uh, I want to find out what are my steps, what should I do here? This is tough. You know, the lower orders of of Freemasonry, as I understand, are really just people getting together. But as you advance in the the orders of Freemasonry, it really becomes very anti-Catholic. And it's a secret society with secret vows. And and we don't know, you don't know what's going on in the highest orders of of Freemasonry, and neither do we. Uh, And that's part of the problem. It's very anti-Christian or anti-Catholic. Um, and of course, Byzantine Catholics are very, very Catholic. Um, you know, what I would do is I would, um, what would I do? I would study the matter, you know, and, and make a decision of conscience, you know, talk to your priest and, uh, uh, and, and, and study it yourself. The relationship of Freemasonry, just look up articles, the, uh, the relationship of Freemasonry to, to Catholicism, um, uh, it's, it's Freemasonry was really, really important in the French and Mexican revolutions, and they really tried to destroy the Christian faith altogether. So that's what I would say do. You know, this is a decision of conscience that you have to make. Um, and uh, the position, if you look in the catechism, I think in the catechism, uh, Freemasonry is, is, uh, is opposed to the faith. I, I mean, I wish I could tell you differently. Because, well, you know, I've known some fine people are Freemasons, but they're usually in the, the lower, the very lower degrees of Freemasonry. So I don't know if that helps at all, but I will be praying that God gives you real wisdom uh, and, and real courage. God bless you, Joe. Does that help a little? Bless you, Father. Yeah, it did. Thank you. Well, yeah, it's, it's a it. tough Thank thing. You but, much. you know, it's, it's um, I mean, if you're being asked in any way uh, to deny Christ, uh, oh, no, deny, nothing, nothing like that no. at all. <laughs> well, you don't know that. You don't know yeah. that. You know, I was, I was talking about yoga with, with a classmate of mine, and my approach is, eh, if it's stretching, but, you know, I'm I'm beginning, for instance, to become more conservative about yoga because uh, the, the positions are named for Hindu gods. And it may be that, that when someone says, take the Shiva position, I don't know any positions, that you're actually invoking... Well, that's not my purpose, but that's what you're doing. So look into it, investigate, and um, make you the best decision of conscience, especially with the uh, the advice of your pastor. That's what I would say, Joe. And God bless you. I'll be praying for you. All right. My goodness, that's tough. Tracy, what can I do for you from Loveland, Colorado? Hi, Father Simon. I love you. I love your show. You've taught me so much. Thank you. Um, I'm well, in the process of converting to Catholicism because I do uh, believe uh, Catholicism, mm-hmm. the Catholic Church, is the true church created by God, by mm-hmm. Jesus himself. Um, I also believe that the 
um, body and blood of Jesus is truly present in um, communion, and a lot of Catholics yeah. don't. And in, in yeah, um, John, yeah. Jesus talks in regards to communion by opens by saying truly, truly, so it means it's very important unless you eat yeah. my flesh and drink my blood, and he says it four different times. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, many people turned away and said, you know, we can't bear this teaching. So it, it was very important. He mentions it in all the Gospels um, and even in Corinthians. So it's very yeah. important. Um, so yeah. I just, it's, um, we get caught up in so many things, you know, debating on this and this, but the, the communion is the pinnacle of the Catholic faith. And I desire so that so, so strongly yeah. coming into the church. Um, I sit in adoration just longing to be able to receive. So it, I feel like um, there's a mistake somehow that we're not there's not an outcry for receiving both the body and the blood and i understand how they say the body represents both but to be the fullness of the sacrament that jesus himself implemented and taught us so so many times about so specifically i just don't understand why yeah why that isn't yeah. like something that we just stand fast and say we we demand that we get the body and the blood well of course you're right that the uh the 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 bread, uh, the body and blood of Christ under the form of bread represents the body of Christ, and the body and blood of Christ under the form of wine represents uh, the blood of Christ. However, the bread, by the action of the Holy Spirit, becomes the body and blood of Christ. The cup, under the action of the Holy Spirit, becomes the body and blood of Christ. So that's the doctrine of concomitance. So we do receive, when we receive only the host, we are receiving the body and blood of the Lord. And you mentioned that, you know that. But the symbol, it was designed by the Lord as that symbol. And the reason that we've stopped is for centuries, we did not receive uh, under the uh, both forms. And I think part of it was because it, there was such a, a, a danger of profaning the Eucharist. You know, people... People were pretty sloppy with the cup. Now, in the Eastern Church, they are very careful. And, uh, you know, that might be something that, uh, you know, you can you can be a Latin Catholic, join the, the, you know, the Western Rite, but you are allowed to go to Byzantine Catholics to fulfill your Sunday obligation, and they would receive under both forms. You'd have to talk to the pastor, and he would teach you how to receive it. But um, I think the reason we didn't do it for centuries, because we were worried about profaning the precious blood. But then, of course, COVID came along and we stopped again. So there are places I'm sure that may have gone back to it. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I think you're absolutely right to, uh, in, 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 in your understanding of it, that you receive the binding blood of the Lord in the host. Uh, but I think also you're right that, that, that the, the symbolism of it is important too. And that symbolism involves receiving both the host and, and from the cup. Uh, it's very difficult in a very large church to do that. Um, uh, the Eastern churches, and I would think the Byzantine church also, really has kind of a rigorous preparation for Holy Communion, which I find admirable. So people aren't just running up to the front to receive Holy Communion. It's become very, very, I, I don't, for want of a better word, rather casual in the in the. Uh, Western church, you know, people just all come up. When I was a kid, a lot of people didn't go to communion because they didn't feel that they were worthy or they had not maintained the fast. But now everybody goes to communion. In fact, the ushers will stand and 
push you up to communion. They're not supposed to do that. Ushers are not supposed to lead people up to communion row by row. That, that is, is forbidden liturgically, but people do it anyway. So you got a point. And, and um, you know, I would ask the Lord to, to, to fill you with his, you know, precious blood when you receive the host. Uh, but then there are, if you really, really continue to, to feel that the symbolic uh, meaning of the cup is very important to your spiritual life, I think you can find places where you can receive from the cup. So I don't know if that helps, Tracy, but God bless you in your, in your pursuit of, of the body and blood of the Lord, and I will keep you in my prayers. And God bless you on your, on your entry as you prepare for your entry into the, into the Catholic Church. It's a, it's a, a big deal. So does that help a little? It helps a lot. Thank you very much for your for your explanation. I appreciate your blessing. Well, God bless you. We'll be praying for you. All right, let's go to Lisa, who's calling in from St. Louis, Missouri. Alicia, are you with us? I am. Thank you, Father, for taking Good. my call. Good. Okay. My question is, um, we're Catholic, and the kids mm-hmm. are Catholic. My daughter was still going to church. Mm-hmm. She got married, and they did get married in church, in the Catholic Church. Her husband is not Catholic, though, but he is Christian. Um, they, He's um, in the service. They were um, sent to another country for four years, and they mm-hmm. didn't like the priest there, so they quit going. And they have mm-hmm. a one-year-old and a three-year-old. They've moved back in the States now, and they've been going to a non-denominational church, Christian church. Mm-hmm. And I'm, mm-hmm. my question is, is can I push to her to get the kids baptized in that church? No. No, I would not do that. No. How old are the kids? How old are the kids? One, one and three. Um, I don't think they would baptize them in that church. They probably believe only in adult baptism. So, you know, I would uh. not... Um, I can't encourage you to do that. But what I would encourage you to do is to challenge them to say, I would... You know, I love you, and and you know, I'm I I, I love your kids. Um, I'm challenging you to 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 read this book. Uh, give them Scott Hans' Rome Sweet Home and uh, uh, the Lamb's Supper. If you give them those two books for Christmas, say I'm doing this because I love you, and uh, um, <clears throat> you know that that uh, I want you. You know, if if uh, if you don't. Uh, um, if these books mean nothing to you, then I will stop bothering you. But I would I would challenge them because you see, if if it's a, a typical non-denominational church, they wouldn't baptize the kids anyway. They only believe in what's called believers' baptism and say, well, you know, Catholics you baptize babies, that's crazy. You know, they can't accept Christ. No, we believe in salvation by grace through faith. That that yeah, salvation is a gift. We believe in pure grace. God. God has chosen these kids. Baptism, we don't believe, is our choice for Christ. It's Christ's choice for us. And we pray that giving them the grace of the sacrament will lead them to accept Christ when they are able to do so. But but a non-denominational church, I don't think they would baptize uh, children who are one and three. Um, so that's what I would do. I have to be honest with you. I wish I could say, oh, sure, that'd be fine. But I don't think it would be fine. You're, you're, you're asking them to raise those kids in a faith that is that is well, a half truth at best. And, and you yeah. see, baptism is a covenant and 
when we receive baptism, this is why when grandparents say, my kids aren't baptized, should I, or my grandkids aren't baptized, should I baptize them secretly? No, you shouldn't, yeah. because you're <laughs> holding them to a covenant that they know nothing about. You're making them responsible for a covenant about which they know nothing. So, and, and your job is to be the best Catholic grandma you can be. So when they, when they have to make these decisions on their own, these kids, they'll say, you know, what grandma believed was really beautiful and really true. Mm-hmm. And we want to talk to grandma. So be the best grandma you can be and, uh, be the most, okay. you know, don't, no, don't nag them. Don't, don't be difficult. Um, you know, love them and respect them and, uh, be a great example of what a Catholic grandma can be. That's what I would tell you, but I would not encourage you, uh, to encourage them to have the children baptized in a, in a religion that is so transient as the non-denominational megachurches, you know, that, uh, you know, they didn't like the priest. Well, what ha- what's going to happen when they find a minister they don't like? Yeah. 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 You know, well, you know yeah. we're in this, we're in this for Christ. Yeah. Just tell them I'm in the church for Christ. I don't particularly like the clergy. <laughs> I like Christ. You know, some yeah. of the clergy are okay. Some of them are not, but I'm in it for Christ. Yeah. And they came so, from a really good church. And I think that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's the hard thing too. Yeah. The that's the hard thing. Was, yeah. It was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Have him call uh, in and ask me questions. Why not? Challenge him to ask the Reverend Know It All questions. I'll argue with him on the on the radio. Why not? It'd be fun. <laughs> all right. God bless yeah. Lisa. And have a wonderful yeah. Thanksgiving. Thank and and Thank uh, you, you just enjoy it. Thanksgiving. I wouldn't even bring the topic up for Thanksgiving. Uh, just enjoy. All right. God bless you. Bring it up when the Lord. You know, I think a good Christmas gift of I challenge you to read these. That that might be the time to. To, to do it. That's my thought. All right. God bless, Lisa. Let's go quickly to Tom. We just got a minute or two. Tom, what can I do for you? Well, Father, in the uh, second uh, Eucharistic prayer, there's the, the, yes. the consecration, uh, he, he says, we by sending down your spirit upon them, like the dewfall, well, the priest, yes. uh, my daily mass, always admits, like the dewfall. Is that okay? Oh, no, it's not. He's omitting something that is breathtakingly beautiful. Um, you know, I, the, the second canon is, is a modern canon and it's recently written and, and I don't know that real traditional people like it, but there is a very beautiful phrase in it. Uh, you know, the dewfall, when the manna appeared in the desert, it looked like the morning dew. In other words, I don't know if the, the authors of that canon intended this, but it brings you back to the manna in the desert, which appeared like the morning dew. I think that's kind of cool in the second canon. So he's leaving out one of the most beautiful phrases in the second canon. But Drew will leave out no beautiful phrase. Trust me. Stay tuned. <laughs> 